Good morning. Hey, I'm Pastor Brian. It's awesome to be with you today, and we are finishing up through the book of Galatians. We've been, if you're new with us today, we want to just say welcome. We're glad you're here, and you're catching us at the tail end of a series. We've been going through the New Testament book of Galatians, and we're in chapter 6 today, and in our final, in our final lesson of all of these lessons. Um, this is kind of where we've been throughout this book. We've talked about in those first four weeks, the first four chapters of Paul's letter to the church in Galatia that was written a couple thousand years ago. He's talking about the one gospel, the gospel that Jesus saves us by um, what he did on the cross and that our salvation isn't dependent at all, not even a little bit. Our salvation isn't dependent on what we can do. So this was a radical message in a world where the people coming out of Judaism thought that they were supposed to keep the law, the Old Testament law, and that if they kept the law and crossed all their T's and dotted all their I's, then maybe they could earn their way to heaven. And Paul, who used to live that way, by the way, Paul met Jesus and realized that that's not the way it works, that Jesus did all the work, and that our response is to trust Jesus for salvation. And when we trust Jesus for salvation, then our lives are changed. By the way, just last night, my son, age of 18 years, years old, came home from a, from a couple, from a little overnight trip with some buddies of his, and he, he, runs, he runs into the house late last night, and he said, Satan lost another one. And we weren't sure what he was talking about. Yeah. We weren't sure what he was talking about until he told us that he led his, his, one of his buddies to faith in Christ. Yeah. So that's, amen. And that's what we're talking about in this series, is that when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, then we're saved. And it's a, it's a faith response. And so he, my, my son prayed the sinner's prayer with his friend last night. I, I remember it's a, I prayed the sinner's prayer when I was six years old, and I put, put my faith in Christ. And uh, man, I was going in the wrong direction at that point in my life, too. <laughs> yeah, my parents are here. They said amen. So I remember doing that. And I, you know, for, for those of you who, who are here today, if you've never placed your faith in Christ, I just invite you to do it. I, pl- I encourage you to trust in Jesus for salvation. Religion can't save you. That's what we're learning in this series. That's what we learn in the Bible. Religion can't save you. What happens is the work that Jesus did on the cross 2,000 years ago sets us free and saves us. But we have to respond in faith to his work. And so we talked about that really in the first four lessons where, where Paul is just trying to drive home this point in, in his letter to the Galatians. He's just trying to help them to understand, don't, don't return back to this bondage, this, this message that says, I, my salvation, my standing with God depends on me. My standing with God depends on how good of a person I can be. That is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that you're standing on with God. Thank the Lord. This is good news. You're standing with God is dependent on what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus paid the penalty for your sins and my sins on the cross. That's the gospel. That's the good news of the Bible. And that when he did that, we access that by faith. That when we place our, when we come to him and stop trying, stop working, stop trying to earn our way to heaven, when we admit that we're sinners, we admit that we can't do it on our own. The Bible says that in a moment, we cross over from death to life. In a moment, we're transformed. Whether... That happened, whether that happened for you last night, whether that happened for you when you were six, like me, the Bible says that that's that 
defining moment in your life. And Paul is teaching that in the book of Galatians. But then what he does in chapter 5, we looked at this last week, is he, he starts talking in the last couple chapters of his book about the practical implications of that. Because some people are naturally reading that. Even today, 2,000 years later, some people naturally are reading that and saying, so if, so if the law doesn't save us, then the law is bad. If works don't save us, then God must not care about our works. And what Paul does in chapter 5 is say, no, that's not true. The fact that works can't save you doesn't mean that God doesn't want you to do good works. In fact, Ephesians chapter 2, another book that Paul wrote, he said, we're saved by grace through faith. It's not by works so that you can't brag about what you do. But the very next verse, he says, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So we don't want you to miss, boy, people who came for chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4 and missed last week, man, they, you need to make sure they get back here or listen to that sermon because they've missed it if they haven't because it's so easy to walk away and so many Christians throughout history have misinterpreted what God's good news is. God's good news is not just that we're saved by grace through faith, it's also that then we can now do good works. But we don't do good works because, because of our goodness or our greatness or even we don't just do good works because of our efforts we do good works because the, with what we learned last week is the Holy Spirit. God puts his Holy Spirit in us. And what happens is God, through his Holy Spirit, begins to move in us to do good works. He prophesied that through his prophet Ezekiel where he says, I'm, there's going to come a day when I put my spirit in you and I will move you. And hear this. We looked at this verse last week. I will move you to be obedient to all my commandments. So God does care about his commandments. It's just that you can't keep his commandments on your own. You can only do it from the inside out when the Holy Spirit moves you to be obedient to God. And we learned that last week. And last week in chapter 5, the, probably the most famous passage in Galatians is the passage on the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 that Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. All of these things are, are the qualities that work out of you because of the work that God is doing in you. So it turns out we're not just saved by grace. Grace means gift. We're not just saved. Salvation is not just, salvation isn't the only gift, but living to honor God is also part of the gift that God gives us by his Holy Spirit working in us. And so today we finish up our series with the kind of the way that Paul finishes up, and we want to make sure that you are not just reading the Bible for information God wants to change you. He's interested in transformation. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Good doctrine, which is what we've looked at in the first four weeks. Good doctrine should lead to measurable life change. And Paul closes Galatians by giving a couple of practical applications of what that transformation looks like. So he's not just interested in information. I don't know, maybe you've known a Christian who is just really good at information. They studied their Bibles and they knew their Bibles inside and out, but their lives stunk. They were full of bitterness, judgment, anger. The church for centuries, the church has been filled with Christians 
who are missing the whole point. They think it's about information, and that's why I love in Paul's letter that he starts with information because it's important to have the right information, but he ends with transformation. He ends in chapters five and six on a super practical note. And so today as we break down chapter six for you real quick, we're gonna show you three practical ways that this transformation should work out in our lives. And here's the first one. The transformation is relational. True believers should gently and humbly help people when they fall into sin. Again, if you're looking at kind of the flow of thought as Paul's writing this letter, he's talking about the information that we're saved by grace through faith, the work of Jesus on the cross, and then in chapter five, he says, and so then the fruit of the Spirit should work out in your life, and notice the fruit of the Spirit is all relational stuff, love, joy, peace, patience. It's all about your ability to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, so it's all about this real practical stuff that we should, we should be able to love our, love our neighbor as ourselves. And so I think there's a natural question you might be asking at this point in the letter, and you should say this. Well, so then, Paul, if we're not saved through works, but God still wants us to do good works, what do we do with the person who doesn't? Let me say that again in case you're missing it. If we're not saved by works, but God still wants us to do good works, what do we do with the person who doesn't? What happens if someone shows up to church? What happens if someone comes to faith in Christ and they're not perfect afterward? Some of you are like, yeah, that's a great question. I wonder if that's ever happened. <laughs> the truth is when we come to faith in Christ, we don't, he doesn't, I love it in chapter five, he, he does, it doesn't say that he, that he just totally takes out our old nature. You notice that in chapter five? He said there's something that happens is the two natures. He adds to your old nature, your old way that wants to live for yourself. He adds this other nature, this new nature. And so, but what Paul says in chapter five, this is the first book that Paul wrote in the, in the Bible. And so Paul is still probably trying to work out some of this doctrine in his head. But, but what he says here is that this new nature is added to your old nature. And these two natures always fight each other. Young people, I want you to hear this. I want my, my son's friend who came to faith last night to hear this. You're gonna wake up this morning and you're still gonna be a sinner. You're gonna wake up and you're still gonna have these desires that are, you're still gonna have this battle inside of you, probably even more than ever before. You're gonna have this battle that's gonna wanna pull you away. And so the natural question is, what happens when I'm getting pulled away. What happens when I'm walking with someone who says they're a Christian and they screw up? Do we kick them out? Does that mean they're not really a Christian? And so this is what Paul is starting to deal with this in this, in this letter. And again, it it's, comes back to this central theme of Galatians, which is the sweet spot of grace that we don't fall for works on the right side, thinking works can save us, but we, we also don't live in sin on the, on the other side of this, thinking that we're saved by grace so that we can sin. No, we're supposed to continue to live by grace, the grace of God. And if we live by grace, then we should extend grace. If we live by grace, we should extend it to people around us, and so that's what Paul says in Galatians 6. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should kick him out of the church because he must not be a Christian, clearly. No, read the Bible. It says you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. 
And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself because you're not above it. Share each other's burdens and in this way, obey the law of Christ. What he's talking about with the law of Christ, he's talking about what Jesus said the greatest commandment is, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And so he says when you share each other's burdens, and he's talking about sin burdens, when you share someone else's struggle in their life, their sin struggle, be it anger, bitterness, poverty, pornography, addiction, when you share someone's burden, what you're doing is you're fulfilling the law of Christ. You're loving your neighbor as yourself. Turns out loving your neighbor as yourself wasn't just something that's informational. It's actually, it should transform the way you actually live your life. It should actually transform your relationships. And how should it transform it? You should gently and humbly help the person back onto the right path. And what I love about this is it doesn't say you should say to them, it's no big deal, Jesus died for you. Keep living in your sin. No, you're not supposed to do that either. So there are these two extremes. One, one, the, the works extreme, right, back to that sweet spot. The works extreme is to say, how dare you sin? We're a bunch of perfect people. You need to leave now. That's, that's clearly not the right response because that's not true. But the sin extreme on the other side is to say, it's no big deal. You do whatever you want. God doesn't care because he saved you. That's not true either. So what, what I love Paul saying here, he's saying you should gently and humbly, that's the way you do it, restore them back to the right path. In other words, there is a right path, there is a way we should be living, and we should be trying to move in that direction. And as followers of Jesus, we should be discipling people, whether it's our kids or, or people in your small group or friends that you're mentoring in your life, that you should help them back onto the right path. That's why I told AJ last night when he came in, I said, you got work to do now. Because this isn't the end, this is the beginning. Your, your friend needs you now more than ever before. You need to walk with him and help him to walk in this way that honors God because he's got 18 years of living by the flesh. So now you walk, you walk with him like this. This is what Paul is saying. Gently, this should be the way. This, is, this was Jesus' way. He was so gent, meek and gentle, but yet he still called people to account. And that's the, that's the, that's the picture that Paul has in mind. Because that's the life that Jesus lived. Expositor's Bible commentary says this about this verse. Christians should restore the person who's fallen into sin. And the verb used here is a medical term used for setting a fractured bone. What's wrong in the life of the fallen Christian must be set straight. So we have to set them straight. And man, all the more in our culture today do we need to set people straight. We need to... As our culture, as our society goes further and further away from a biblical standard, how much more do we as followers of Jesus, as people come into our community of faith, how much more do we need to say, actually, that's what the influencer says on YouTube, but here's what the Bible says. Actually, that's what, here's what your professor says, or your teacher says at school, or your friends say, but here's what the Bible says. And so we always need to be setting People straight, mending these broken bones, and together this is how the community of faith is supposed to function. So number one, the transformation is relational. Here's the second thing. The transformation is financial. I bet you didn't see that coming. Because if you've, if you've read Galatians 6, I'll, be, I'll confess to you, I've actually never understood that this was a, Paul was talking about money here. 
in this passage, Galatians 6, 6 through 10. He says, those who are taught the word of God should provide for their teachers, sharing all good things with them. The, the, ver, the verb used here for sharing all good things, is talk, he's talking about financially. That's what he's saying in this passage. And so in verse 10 he says, therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially those in the family of faith. We should do good to everyone. When I've read that in the past, I thought that was just talking about the general principles of doing good to people, like being a good person and doing good to people. And then verses seven through eight, which is a really popular passage in here, maybe you've heard of this before, the principle of reaping what you sow. He says, Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. You'll reap what you sow. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So, again, when I read this in the context of chapter 5, I'm like, okay, he's talking about the acts of the, the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. So he's talking about this general life principle of reaping and sowing, which I do think there's truth to that. This is a principle that applies to all of life. But let's go back again to verse 6. What The context of this passage is talking about your money. Verse 6 says, those who are taught the word of God should provide for their teachers Sharing all good things. He is very clearly talking about the fact that as a follower of Jesus in the church, you should be a financial giver. That's what he's talking about here. And in the context of that, he says these words, you reap what you sow. So, your faith should impact your finances. It's, it's not just in this passage, it's all over the Bible. I just was really surprised to see that in this passage. He says this transformation is relational. You should be gentle and humble as you restore people onto the right path. But it's also financial that you, should, you will reap what you sow, and so your transformation should impact your finances. And so I challenge you today to be a giver. If, you're, if you call Alpine your home church, I just challenge you to be a giver. I, I don't know if you notice, we don't pass around baskets. We haven't passed around baskets in over 19 years. 19 and a half years ago, we had one of our pastors at the time said, I think we should pass baskets. And I said, no, I think givers will give. I don't think we need to pass baskets. I think it's awkward for visitors. And he said, no, I think we should pass baskets. And I said, okay, let's try it for a month. And if it impacts our giving, then we'll keep doing it. And we tried it for a month, and it didn't impact our giving. And I said, we're not going to pass baskets anymore. And we haven't ever since then. We did it for one month, and we haven't ever since then. Because we believe givers give. Why? Because the transformation in your life should be financial. So if you're sitting here today saying, I don't give, well, you just take that up with Jesus. Let's go to the next thing right here. One more thing. This transformation, you see how I did that? This transformation affects everything. Individuals become new creations who together become the new people of God. I don't know if you notice when you read this, he's talking a lot about you and you. He's talking to individuals for five and a half chapters. And then here at the very end of his letter, he starts using we language. And I love this because this is, some, this is a theme that's running through Galatians a little bit, but it, it runs even more than as you go into Romans and some of Paul's other letters. 
It's about individuals who have an individual encounter with Jesus that changes their life. And then what happens is together they become a part of the, of the of a new family of God. A big part of this theme was Jews versus Gentiles, right? Do I have to be, does a Gentile, a non-Jew, have to become a Jew first to become a Christian? And Paul's answer, we saw in weeks one and two, Paul's answer was no. You don't have to become a Jew first. You don't have to jump through all the Jewish hoops to become a Christian because the new people of God, he says, are children of Abraham, not by circumcision. They're children of Abraham because their hearts have been changed and they have the faith of Abraham. So they don't, it's not that they have the bloodline of Abraham. It's that they have the faith of Abraham. And we looked at this in the last couple of weeks as we saw as Paul goes back to Genesis and talks about Abraham and that really this key verse in Genesis 15, 6 was that Abraham was justified because of his faith. And Paul, remember, Paul read that probably having been a Pharisee his whole life. He read that with new Christian eyes and he was like, oh my gosh, it was here all along. It was all the way back in the first book of the Bible that even Abraham was justified by faith. And so too are we justified by faith. And this is, was God's plan all along, that the people of God would not be a nationality. It would not be a bloodline. It wasn't about race. The people of God has always been about faith, that we are children of God by faith. And all of us, as we're individually changed because of this relationship with God, as we individually respond in faith to Christ, what happens then is we become the new people of God collectively. And so he says in verses 16 and 15 and 16, it doesn't matter whether we've been circumcised or not. Again, that was something that you had to do to convert to Judaism if you were a Gentile. He says that doesn't matter. What counts is whether we've been transformed into a new creation. And then he says this, may God's peace and mercy be upon all who live by this principle. They are the new people of God. You are transformed when you come into a relationship with Jesus, when you place your faith in Jesus Christ. You're transformed, but that transformation is progressive. That transformation takes time. That transformation, I, I told you I became a Christian when I was six years old, and now I'm older than that, and I've been a Christian. You thought I was gonna give you my age. I've been a Christian. I've been on this journey this, this whole time, 20 plus years. <laughs> That's true. And you can be too. If, you're, if, you're, if you want today, I'd love to close our time just by giving you an opportunity, if you've never trusted Jesus for salvation, to do that with me. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? If you're here today and you would say, I want that. I want to be part of the new family of God. I, I, want, I want to know that Jesus took care of my sins. I want to know that this this message that was written 2,000 years ago that is still true today. I, I want to personally respond to that. If that's you today, then I want to invite you to do something that we just call the sinner's prayer. It's really simple. There's nothing magical about it, but what counts is your heart. And if you're not sure if you've ever done this or if you know you've never done this before, I invite you to pray a prayer like this, just in your heart. Say, God, thank you for sacrificing your son for me. I recognize I'm a sinner. 
And I recognize that you solved my sin problem when you died on the cross and rose from the dead. Today, I place all of my hope in you. Today, I trust you for salvation. And I pray, God, that from this day forward, you would help me to live this new life. In Jesus' name, amen.